My name is Carmen Lopez, today is November 17th, and I am here with Marlon Peterson for the Our Streets, Our Stories oral history project focused on the justice system. Um, so my experience with the justice system is that uh, from the age of 19 to 30, um, I was incarcerated, um, so that's 1999 to 2009. Um, so that's my experience with it. Um, and, and as and, you know, since I've been home almost seven years now, December twenty third makes seven years exactly. Um, and I spent I spent the entire time uh, since I've been home uh, working in the realm of criminal justice, you know, under the umbrella of social justice, along with dealing with issues of gun violence and seeing that there are intersections there. Um, so whether it be advocating or on behalf of policies like uh, ban the box, you know, the question of incarceration or college applications, actually, um, or, 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 or advocating on behalf, you know, on behalf of folks who have had criminal justice and immigration issues. So that inter intersection, which people call now crimigration, um, uh, as a part of organizations, as a board chair of organization, uh, spent a lot of my time advocating as an activist also in the streets and as a writer, um, speaking on behalf of folks who, um, like myself, uh, but from, I like to say from an authentic voice. So there are people, qualified folks, friends of mine as well, who advocate and who write um, about these issues uh, from, uh, in a, from the place of an, observ of an observer. And I'm not, you know, not to um, minimize their cares or, or, or concern, uh, but there's a certain way in which folks who understand experience um, from a firsthand, uh, from a firsthand look can speak to these issues. Um, so that's what I pride myself in being able to do over the last couple of years. And even while I was inside, I mean, I started you know, this sort of work of advocacy and writing inside. So, you know, advocating on behalf of people who were about to be released um, and writing articles about issues of immigration and deportation while I was inside, speaking to people there and like bringing that information outside while I was inside um, has been the work that I've been able to do over the last I mean, I came home seven years ago, but I like to say over the last decade or so that I've been doing. Can you talk about the transformation from like getting in the prison system and how you began working towards uh, advocacy? I think you know. I think when you go to prison, I think you, in order to survive prison, you got to figure out how to be an advocate for yourself in the first place. Because of, I mean, it's, it's, it's something as simple as being able to make sure you, you eat at times. You have to be able to learn how to be an advocate for yourself and obviously on behalf of your fellow, you know, your fellow people incarcerated with you. So it's sort of like, it's just organically, but I think that, um, I think it officially began um, when I went to, uh, the one of the last prisons I went to, the, the last prison actually I went to before I was released, I spent maybe four years there, four and a half years there in upstate New York. Um, I was transferred there, it was a medium security prison. And I worked, I got a job there working, what's called like the Transitional Services Center. So it was preparing men uh, for their release uh, from, from from prison. So whether it be uh, creating curriculum and running workshops, one-on-one -on -one counseling, helping them out with resumes, job search, um, connecting with their families, uh, helping them get their ID, you know, birth certificate and all that sort of stuff while they're inside. Um, and, and, that, and I was about 24, 25 when I started doing that, not having any experience at all with any of those things, but learning from a lot of folks who were there before me, older folks. Um, and I think one of the things I learned from that experience uh, was that it wasn't something that was supported by the administration. Um, though the, you know, like the Transitional Services Center was a, a Department of Correctional, you know, a state program, um, 
they were okay with us just sort of like reading from a manual and just reading information and guys just listening to it. And that was, that was ineffective. It was completely ineffective. So what I did, what we did, was we did we found ways of getting information from the outside, whether it be through friends we had, family members, other contacts, bringing information, up-to-date information that guys can really use, like tangible stuff, up-to-date stuff that they could use to prepare themselves for release and to connect them once they're out of here. Um, and it was not well accepted. I know I received a lot of backlash from it, um, even up to like seven days before I was released. So, um, so like, you know, the, and this is survival, right? So I opened it by saying that, you know, to survive in prison, you gotta learn how to be your own advocate. But you know, when things is you know routine as food, and necessary as food. But taking that to a larger step, in order to, I think to be to what you want to call successfully, um, <laughs> be released from prison, um, or to have a successful bid. And what I what I what I define as a successful bid, you have to learn to be an advocate on your own behalf to get the information and resources that you need. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in what ways was it like, you know, where you guys um, stopped from doing this? So I'll give you an example. So one of the things I did w- through that Transitional Services Center, um, started a program called Bridging the Gap, Two Communities Bridging the Gap. So it was a long-standing program that was there before me where students from um, a local college, a liberal um, college called, a liberal arts college called Vassar College would come into the prison and interact with men in the classroom setting. Um, myself. Another colleague, Monty Massey, decided that we wanted to like structure it in a way that was much more contemporary and up to date and current. So we kind of revamped the whole program. And one of the ways, one of the things that we did, um, several things. But one of the things I remember we implemented was called like um, uh, uh, Tech Friday. So the, the program was every Friday afternoon. The students were coming for about two and a half hours, and there'd be twelve men who we got from the facility who wanted to participate in like a semester long um, uh, program, and we through a dialogue called Experiential Dialogue where we spoke about issues of social justice. So one we may be speaking about, you know, death penalty one week. Next day we might be speaking about, you know, um, same-sex education in schools. Next day we might be thinking about, you know, um, affirmative action. So it was a range of things that we dealt with and, 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 and spoke about. So this particular segment called Tech Friday, we would get the students, the college students, a project where they would have to like do research on things like the latest technologies. They couldn't bring technologies in, they couldn't bring phones or anything like that in, but they would do their research and they would come in with like these big, uh, almost like construction papers, sort of like display boards with like pictures of different things and like explaining what it is and how to use it and would you need this, where you can get it and all that sort of stuff. And that was up-to-date information. Like the guy, you know, myself, but definitely the guys who were in the room as participants were like thirsty for that information. And you find like freedom to do this? Well, here you go. So I remember when we did it um, and the, 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 the workshop concluded and then later that day we found out that the, uh, the CEOs raided the, so they kept this they, they left information with us the officers raided uh, the classrooms that were all the information was at it wasn't in our cells or anything like that and they they raided it and they took it all they took all the information because the, the idea was that they would bring the information that we would just like display it in the classroom in the prison and they came and they took every bit of, bit of it um, and even searched our cells thinking that we had I don't know pictures of phones I don't know what a picture of a phone could do but um and and, and that's just like the you know, that was just one of the things that sort of, uh, that, that pushed us, that we had to fight against um, in, the, in terms of being able to get what we needed. Wow. Okay. Um, what have you learned um, from getting involved with the justice system? 
Um, what have I learned? I think that the justice system is like a farce in many ways, and that I think we as a society, we rely on it, um, we over-rely on the justice system for many things. So things such as social ills in our communities, we rely on the justice system to handle that. And the justice system is more than happy to take that, take those roles, even though they can't fulfill it because there's money associated with it and jobs and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's one thing. I think we over-rely on the justice system. I think that we as a society are not, we're, we're, sadly we're able to dismiss entire swaths of people um, because, quote-unquote, they're bad people, right? Um, and we somehow are able to disconnect from the fact that, like, we have all done a lot of different things. Now, it's not about absolving people of whatever they have done or dismissing any sort of accountability, but it's about understanding that there's a humanity that no one should ever have to lose, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done. And I'm saying there's somebody who just, like, you know, two months ago lost two friends instantly to gun violence, right? So I'm not saying there's somebody who's disconnected from the issue. I've seen the entire angles of it. I've studied, I've had the green criminal justice, I've been in the criminal justice system, and I work around it now. Um, so that's the second thing. I think we also, um, we need to be able, particularly in this time, in this era, <laughs> where we're at now in, in, in American politics, um, the, what we have now in the, Trump, in the Trump administration in many ways is a combination of how we have, as a society in general, ignored many of the marginalized populations um, who have been screaming for, like, for acknowledgement. And one of those marginalized populations are people who are poor. And poor people tend to be the people that, um, that fill our jails and prisons. Poor people fill prisons, right? Prison is not something that um, people born and decide they want to go to. Prison is there, um, because, and people go to prison largely because of a lot of social ills, a lot of underlying issues that are not being dealt with, poverty, lack of uh, uh, proper education, health issues, all those sort of things are why people go there in, in the first place. Um, and we've been able to ignore those sort of things. So we're in an uproar now, which is good. Hopefully that, you know, this one positive that comes out of this, you know, this election is that people are now, like, you know, the bandages off, the, 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 the bandages off, the, the, the scars off, it, it's bleeding now. Now you have to deal with it, right? It's no longer covered. Um, and, listen, and hopefully people jump in, jump in the fight and begin understanding that, advocating on behalf of people who have um, been in the criminal justice system or in the criminal justice system and people who have been involved in the immigration deportation system is ultimately you advocating on behalf of yourself. Okay, and um, how do you envision a more fair justice system? How do I envision a, full, a more ju uh, fair justice system? I think there's a, the, the things that we do know that um, we need people who have had um, direct experience with it being at all levels of informing what the justice system looks like. Um, so that's from policy um, to media to legislation um, to advocacy. Um, we need people at all angles who have had that direct experience um, to be able to inform what the justice system looks like. I mean, and this is nothing new. There's precedent for it. When you think about, uh, uh, you know, HIV-AIDS awareness um, or advocacy on behalf of people who are within the LGBTQ community, the people who are at the forefront of all spectrum, the entire spectrum of people who are HIV, who, who, are, who are infected by HIV and AIDS, or people who, who identify themselves as LGBTQ. Um, and that's why the, their, their movement has been so powerful and effective in their messaging and why they've been able to see strides. Um, I think people tend to think that people who have had this experience of, you know, with the justice system, first-hand experience, are not capable or qualified enough to be able to be at all spectrums of the, uh, of the issue. And that's, and that's a disservice. That's a huge disservice because 
And one thing is that in terms of even like programming within prisons and jails, the programs that were the most effective, and you ask any woman or man who spent time in jail and prison, are the programs that the women and men themselves created. Right? Those are the most effective programs because it was a level of ownership, autonomy. They, it mattered to them. They wanted to care for it. Um, they didn't want to do anything that would sort of uh, uh, tarnish it. So just thinking about that now, you can engage people on all angles to be able to inform what happens before the, you know, before the, uh, on the other end of the justice system, whether it be on, on policing um, and definitely corrections and legislation and policy. Um, we can literally create the justice system that's more, that is fair. Can you talk about the deportation topic and how you're addressing that? Yeah, um, so the last facility I was in, so I should say I'm of Trinidad descent. Um, my entire family's from Trinidad. I was born here, my entire family's from Trinidad. Um, and I have family members who are here undocumented and, and, and you know, some, it's, some that's close to my, my family as well, myself. The last facility that I was in had, <laughs> we used to call it like the deportation hub. Now, you can't get deported from the jail because it's a state prison. Um, but they tend to put people who were like on in who would the next step would be to deportation. They would tend to put them in that in the last jail. So we had a great amount of people who were like of Caribbean descent uh, from different Caribbean islands or Middle America, South America, even uh, uh, mainland Africa, who were there, you know, waiting to finish their sentence and be deported. So um, myself and a friend of mine, who himself has now been deported to Trinidad, um, started a branch of what was called Caribbean African Unity. And the organization within the facility was to cater to the needs of people who were facing deportation. I was the secretary of the organization when we started it. And um, so we would get resources in for, the, for people coming in. We would try as much to find information to the countries where they were coming from. And it was scarce, and it still is scarce. Um, but we definitely try to find ways in which we can like at least get them some idea of what, was, what would be happening next. Um, and then, so when I came home, um, one of the organizations that I connected with was called Families for Freedom. They, were, they came into the facility a couple of times, and I volunteered with them when I first came home. Um, and, and Families for Freedom, I'm now the board chair of the organization. I'm now board chair. And the organization um, advocates on behalf of families who are caught up in immigration deportation um, complex. Um, so whether it be providing like access to legal services, we are, we are not attorneys, but we provide access to those services that can't do it to it. We definitely advocate on behalf. We go to court dates. Um, we are writing cons uh, uh, consulates, <clears throat> um, um, and we're just like catering to the needs of families primarily, understanding that deportation breaks up families, um, and that's been the work I've been doing there for Family Freedom over the last couple of years, and um, you know, and looking now in terms of like how we can. I like to say, like, uh, think beyond, like, how can we connect with uh, organizations and people and agencies in the Caribbean who are now receiving people who are being deported? Because there is really nothing for folks coming, going back to these places. And ultimately, the poor people that end up being going to prison end up being the poor people that get deported, and they go back to the countries of poor people, and now they're in the same cycle of probably reoffending again in that country. And um, what would you say to someone who has been recently... Uh, released from prison? You need support. I think that, you know, you, the preparation for re for release begins the day you go inside. That's just like my philosophy. Um, while inside, I, and I do workshops, I just did a four-day, three-day three seminar in a federal prison in Virginia um, with men who are probably within anywhere from 12 months to about 48 months of release. And I've served anywhere from five years to 35 years in prison. 
And um, one of the things I always tell them is that while you're there, begin any anybody that comes into the facility in terms of volunteers or whatnot, like get the information, collect, literally write that down and keep that as like your Rolodex of people that when you come home, your job will be to contact these folks. And not necessarily looking to say, well, can you get me a job? Can you get me this? Can you get me this? But you, you, your social capital is important. Build up that social capital. Um, once you're released, hopefully you're following up on those sort of things. You've added value to yourself somehow while you're inside. Um, lean on people who uh, seek out and lean on people who you know who who you can trust and can provide um, comfort to you. And this is before I get into jobs and all that sort of stuff. Because one of the part of reentry that people don't emphasize enough is that emotionally it is a it is a overwhelming process, particularly if you spend more time in than others, um, adjusting to freedom. Um, but also wading your way through this place where you feel like you're the elephant in every room. Like you have this secret that no one knows, right, at the time. And you may, it may hinder your ability to speak with people because you don't want people to know that and then judge me, judge you and, and, and stigmatize you. So you need emotional support. Um, and hopefully you've been able to build that out, outside, inside, uh, while you're inside, but definitely when you're outside. And I think um, humility is important. Um, you know, the first job I had, um, I was working, I was doing telemarketing, and it didn't pay much, it didn't pay like seven fifteen an hour. I hated the, I hated the hell out that job. It was boring, I, but, but it was a check for me. It was a check, I got it two weeks after I came home. It put money, a little money in my pocket. It, it, was, it made me feel a sense of worth, self-worth, I can do that. Um, and also, because of the way it worked, um, I made my own schedule up, so it wasn't an eight hour day, probably four hours a day, but I can still, meet those people that I was trying to meet, you know, that Rolodex of people I had on my list, I had time to go meet them, and volunteer. If you can volunteer someplace, please do so. I mean, one organization I volunteered with Families for Freedom, I'm now board chair, I had the opportunity to be the executive director, I turned it down, but I volunteered with them. Um, another program I volunteered, I started was a youth program in a school in Brownsville called HALA, How Our Lives Link All Together, and um, that was volunteer basis. I had my, you know, I started that probably a month after I came home, and I was completely volunteer. Um, and that program has not moved on and is still accomplishing great things with its current executive director. And it's provided a, pla it's provided a platform for me and some of my other, a lot of my, my friends that came home um, who were part of the plan of that program. So, like, volunteering is important because it, 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 you, social capitals will get you by. Um, rich folks know the importance of social capital, right? That's how they get their kids in all these schools and all these good jobs. And I think that we as a, as a, as a, as a growing demographic, there's seven, 70 million people in this country with a criminal conviction, and 20 million of those people have a felony conviction. We are forced to be reckoned with, and we need to recognize that for the, the power that we have. Okay. And uh, what can common people do to contribute towards the change? Um, I think it's simple stuff. I think you don't make judgments on folks immediately. Um, understand that people are still growing. You need to meet them where they're at. Um, I think that I often say that when we watch the news and we hear about a crime, a heinous crime, um, instead of uh, instead of saying things like that person may be thrown under the jail and all those sort of things, I'm, once again, I'm not. I know it's from being a victim of crime and having friends victim of crimes, but ask the question: What would cause? What happened in that person's life to, uh, that would make her or him do that? 
Like those are the deeper questions, like what would happen in her life? Because ultimately people who commit crime, whether it be drugs or violent or otherwise, like there's a level of trauma that they all experience. And I always say this, not excusing any the crime that they did, but there's a level of trauma that they experienced somewhere along the line. I know it, I've experienced it, and I speak to folks all the time. And we need to be dealing with that. Because if we deal with the trauma, then we don't deal, if we could, if we could learn to effectively deal with the underlying causes of trauma that the folks are dealing with in a way that is um, productive, in a way that is human, um, in a way that is loving, um, we will elite, we will drop crime, right? Like, we will drop crime, right? You know, we think about the justice system, we think about policing. Police, police, I always say this, and, you know, and I've done a lot of work around policing, um, and, and, like, police are not created to, like, create safety and create communities, right? They commit, they're, they're, their job is to, like, get bad guys and fight crime. Finding crime is not synonymous with creating a safe community. Ultimately, people do that for themselves, and we need to see that we have that power. So you want to think about what people can contribute to the, to the justice system. We got to think about what they can commu- contribute to their communities. Um, because a mentor of mine who passed, his name is Eddie Ellis, he said, there are no, there are no prison problems, there are only community problems. And not to say there aren't unique problems to prisons. Um, I stand in solidarity with folks who are, you know, who who are who are fighting for their rights inside of prisons. But the 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 core that quote is that, you know, anything that happens in the prison is a representation of what's happening in our communities. Um, the the violence that we see, the brutality that we see um, in prisons, well, it happens here. We see how many people we get the, the video footage of all the people that's you know getting killed by law enforcement and beaten by law enforcement. Um, in terms of the reckless way in which people wield their power, they do that in prison. Well, look who we have in office. So, so like, there are no community prison problems. The only community problems that we as a community need to see our power. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. It's been great. Thanks. <laughs>